Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Lawful Stupid Community Highlights, where we bring in others from the community to discuss upcoming projects and more. I'm Devin, the DM of Campaign 3 that's going on now. I have with me today Dwayne, DM of Campaign 1. Say hello, Dwayne. Hello, Dwayne. I deserve that. And our guest today is none other than Douglas Cole. Uh, we're going to be discussing many things, but the focus of today's episode will be on specifically the Tower of the Moon product that has come out on Backerkit. Uh, and without further ado, hey, Douglas, how's it going, man? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for uh, having me. Thanks for having us have you. We appreciate that very much for you reaching out to us, so uh, we love doing this. It's the thank you recursion. Recursion. <laughs> Recursiveness is good, right? The infinite loop just keeps yeah. happening. Thankfulness, thankfulness. Uh, so we'll jump right in, Douglas, and so I want to start this thing out, and, and Dwayne, feel free. I have I have the template here, but feel free to in, interject whenever yeah, you Yeah, ruin want. your plan. Got it. No. <laughs> yes. Um, we're going to start with, you know, getting to know you a little bit, Douglas. So tell us a little about you. Where are you from? What's your day job? You mentioned that, you know, before we jumped on what you're into now and uh, your family makeup, just kind of some of those things. And whatever you miss on my list, I'll be sure to, to ask. Just circle around. That's it. Yeah. We have an agenda. Anyway, so uh, my name is Douglas Cole. Uh, I've been role playing uh, since I started with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons back in. Uh, 1981 or so, uh, I really got into playing different systems uh, in high school, uh, which really finished up in about 1989. Um, that's where, you know, maybe everyone goes through it, maybe it was just my friends, but you had the campaign week. Oh, here's the coolest game ever. Mm. We're going to make characters for this. Now, you never actually play said game. Maybe you do one episode, and then somebody else comes and says, no, 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 this is the coolest game ever. So we covered, you know, I just like, you know, uh, Lords of Creation, Bushido, Twilight 2000 First Edition, Champions, Fantasy Hero, Robot Warriors, all of those are hero mm. systems. Uh, we eventually, uh, we played GURPS. Um, that was my first introduction to it back in, in, in high school. Um, uh, enough D&D that I was familiar with AD&D and the, the red boxes and the back me and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Um, and just a bunch of other stuff. Um, you know, that was also the same year that I got my introduction to the uh, West End Games D6 Star Wars system, which is still one of my mm. favorite rules-like freeform uh, uh, game systems. So, you know, I've done a bunch of eclectic stuff um, for from, from gaming since since a while ago. Um, you know, I went to, to got a couple of degrees in material science and engineering. I was uh, okay. a management consultant for a couple of years. Um, and then I worked for a district company doing um, uh, process development, um, creating equipment for uh, uh, making the hard coatings on disk drives. Um, that was actually the management job that I had, but I did, I did grinding, I did uh, lapping, you know, anything that had to do with the disk drive head. Uh, manufacturer I probably touched on in, in a 20-year career. Um, got laid off, as many people did, um, mm. last year. That's but funny. during that time, I had been uh, playing around with Gaming Ballistic, first as a blog, starting in late 2012. Uh, and then I started publishing a bit in, in 2016. Or that's when I started the company. I think my first product was later that year. Um, and I talked to my wife, who's uh, uh, also a, a PhD in, in wastewater treatment, 
and I said, what if I decided to do this publishing thing for real uh, and not thrash around looking for, for a day job? What if I yeah. gave it a year? And she said, okay, that's cool. Um, and so that's kind of, uh, I had some things to take care of uh, as, as, you know, uh, June went through December in, in, in 2020. Uh, I had some campaigns to finish up. Uh, and I didn't want to go all in all the time until I had done that. But when I had taken care of those things, um, I on basically January 1 of, of this year, I said, all right, now gaming ballistic is not just a hobby job. It's my only job. Um, and uh, I am in, in, a, in a personal note kind of thing. I've got uh, an outnumbered five to one in my house by uh, my wife, two daughters and two cats, um, all, all, all women. Um, so there's that and, uh, hobbies, uh, I've been interested in martial stuff and obviously with a company name like Gaming Ballistic, uh, I have more than academic interest in, in, in firearm. Um, uh, but right now my, my thing is, and it reflects in the games that I'm making, uh, and writing myself is sort of a, a Viking historical European martial arts. Um, so when I sat down and read fifth edition, uh, I was like, you know, something about shields bugs me, hmm. but I'd never used one before. But it seemed to me that some giant slab of wood that you stuck between me and trying someone trying to kill me should move your hit chance more than ten percent, plus two to armor class. If you don't, but if you don't do that, like I, like I'm a guy who's just like. A shield, that sounds cool. It's protective, right? But but you as a martial artist <laughs> who actively engages in those events. Well, that was the thing. Is I, never, I had never used a shield before. It seemed to me to be true. Um, but so as it happens, and I, I live in Minnesota, uh, <laughs> the land of the Vikings. Are you a Vikings um, so fan? I, I never really grew up with... My, my parents were a Giants fan and a Redskins fan. So, so Sunday football was just anger. Hmm. So we know what your traumas are. Got it. Right. Yeah. You know. So, uh, so I never really got. I never really got into it. Um, the joke that I do tell, though, is that I'm the kind of Viking that's actually conquered something in the last thousand years, as opposed to oh, the football purple. Vikings, which we the purple ones are are less likely to have conquered anything. My favorite bumper sticker. I'm driving around. My favorite bumper sticker. I, I'm driving around. You know, so when I die, I want to be laid to rest by the Minnesota Vikings so they can let me down one more time. Oh, um, nice. I'm a Packers fan, so that really... There we go. Really, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that really but, uh, yeah, so... Uh, the, the, yeah, that's the most common... The, the most common... Other common thing here is, you know, I'm a, a fan of the Vikings and whoever's playing the Packers. So, my first question, as I, yeah. as I hear you talking... You you said you hadn't dealt with shields, but you have now at this point. Yeah, so what, yeah, now. explain explain Mike, what that Mike, looked like. Here's my question first before you explain it. Who was the person that you went to holding a shield and said, "Can you hit me with this flail or whatever it was?" <laughs> right. I'm gonna hold the shield. You hit me real hard. <laughs> you yeah. hit me with this. So what I wound up doing is is there is actually a group here called Osfolk, which is a an historical Viking. Uh, we, we call ourselves uh, we're not reenactors, okay? Because that's a combat sport with very specific rules. What Oslo mm. tries to do is use period proper equipment 
and clothing and weapons and wear whatever and figure out how the Vikings might have fought. Nobody wrote anything down. The the, the sagas, the sagas of the Icelanders were written hundreds of years after peak Viking, right? They were written in 1100 or 1200 or whatever, whatever, right? So yeah. the people who recorded those, uh, there's reasonable evidence because people have tried out the things that they describe and say, yeah, this actually kind of seems like it could be done. So the people who wrote the sagas seem to have known something about fighting, mm. right? It wasn't like, you know, like back when I was a kid, I would watch these Shotsaki movies and say, oh my God, these guys are so amazing. And then I went and studied hardcore martial arts for a while. And yeah. then I watched these same movies and I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe I ever thought that was good. Uh, or whatever. <laughs> um, the, uh, anyway, long story less long is they put a shield in my hand. And then over time, I learned how to build them, like build them in accurate. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so, you know, and like, so if you want to buy a, mostly authentic Viking shield. I build them and sell them for like 500 bucks a piece. Is that on your because website or is that a different... It is link? on my website. It is okay. on my website. I don't highlight it anymore just because, you know, no one was... I mean, you have to really, really want a Viking shield to drop $500 yeah. on it. Well, um, and you, you don't spend, realize how much I yeah, really, yeah. really want a shield. Well, there you go. Uh, you can get shields for less, but they're usually too heavy and too thick. Yeah. Right? And so the the actual shields wind up being like I'm going to talk metric for a minute, but they're like seven to nine millimeters of, of wood at the core, and the wood tapers to like two and a half, three millimeters at the edge, and then they're faced and back with hide or leather, and hide and mm. leather, the way that they would tan the leather is a little weird, so it was either hide or kind of hide. Yeah, uh, yeah. It wasn't like soft, right? It was but like, but the, 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 the hide, the uh, hide facing and backing, is like a half a millimeter each. So the edges of these things winds up being maybe five millimeters when you include uh, an edge strip of rawhide, the facing, the backing, and the wood. These are really thin. And mm. like, so I have a shield uh, upstairs that I train with. It's six pounds. It, it, it's not, and it's, it's, it's 34, 35 inches in diameter. So it, it's not terribly heavy. Right. And and the way that <clears throat> the way that you hold it is not like you think, you know, you, you you put it out in front of you, edge on, angled and and it more or less blocks all of the vision from like your knees to the top of your head. Yeah. Because of the cone that it blocks off. And so the more that I, and and if someone swings you're like, "Oh, well, I'll just swing a sword this." Okay, sure. So I tilt the thing up and I present the grain of the wood and you know, especially when it was old growth trees, mm. these tree rings are so tight, the sword gets stuck. And then you twist it and you basically use it as a grappling tool. You take it away and bam, and, and come in for the kill. Uh, so it, it's, anyway, it was a whole world of fighting and movement and stuff and, you know, a sword and a shield in each hand and, and whatever. And so now I make custom martial arts equipment and I make these custom shields. Like, like I've mm. made swords, like wooden training swords, uh, for almost everybody in my school now, because I'm a woodworker. I, lo I, lo I love working with wood. Um, anyway, long story less long about that is I'm now even more convinced that plus two to armor classes. I mean, because the thing is, other <laughs> it's than, a real other thing. than yeah, that's just not the way you go. Other than putting a maybe on grabbing a spear and putting on a helmet, the first thing that you pick up for thousands of years was a shield. Hmm. You know, you don't see. The, uh, the the or or hear about a lot of people lining up with an axe and a sword, you know the classic two weapon ranger, right? There were people who do that, 
but usually it was for either they had a lot of steel on them, so that was late period, yeah, uh, or they were just really, really good. Like I will say that having tried it, fighting with an axe in one hand and a sword in another is about the only thing that I would do other than a shield and, and something, because the the hooking with the axe is really good. very useful. Yeah, and it very destroys useful. your grip real quick. <laughs> Hey, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna twist on on this a little bit and talk about yeah. uh so you talk about uh shield and grappling, um and so I'm gonna use this as a pivot segment to talk about this armada of content that you have. Uh, <laughs> one of them is uh fantastic dungeon grappling, and oh, yeah. w- what I like about this uh this content and I, I'm not gonna give away all your trade secrets here, but I you know I look through it because. There's 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 a lot of content here. So admittedly, I haven't read through every one of your manuals, but the grappling one stood out to me uh, a lot because grapple is one of the most powerful effects in in D and D five e without these mechanics. And then you put this mechanic in here, these these mechanics, and it just gives a lot of control, uh, a lot of depth to the combat. So what I guess what I'm trying to say here is, if you like combat and you like depth to combat, this is for you. If you like fighters, if you like grappling, I mean, even if you don't like fighters, um, right? It's it's just so interesting. So the thing is, so so dungeon grappling and fantastic dungeon grappling are the D and D and dungeon fantasy role playing game versions of a system that I, a book, my very first book was written for speed action games called Technical Grappling. It was fifty pages of core organization, a lot of depth and content. Um, but explained in a way that you needed to read the entire book like three times, and then you're like, oh, this is actually really mm. simple. Um, and over time, I refined it to where it started with the simple. Um, that's called growing as an author. But basically, the point <laughs> of that, yeah, uh, the point of, of the, all of these systems is we, if I told you, hey, fighting is complicated, I, I think you would agree. Right, swords yep. and you know, trying to you know, you know it's, it's you know, in, in in Zorro they make fun of it. What you put the point in, the pointy end goes into the other mountain. How hard can that be? Um, and but everyone understands that that way fighting more to is it. complicated. Yeah, way more to it. However, we accept for very good reasons that when it comes time to beat the bejesus out of somebody with a sword, you roll one d twenty. Do you guys play mostly D and D? Yeah, yeah, that's our, yeah, that's our yeah. I, I just want I just want to use the idiom that you that you guys are in. Yep. Um, so you roll one d twenty plus a bonus against a, a target number, an armor class or a DC or whatever, and if you hit, you roll damage. Okay, great. Yay, team! It's an abstraction, but it's a useful one. Okay, now we're gonna now we're gonna grapple. Everyone groans. Some people put their heads <laughs> down on their desk. The, the the game master takes a huge sigh and says, "Okay, we're grappling." So, because there was usually some weird flowchart or or some alternate rule that mm. that made it oh grappling is so hard. Well, you know, sword fighting is hard too, and there's a lot to it. But so if you're willing to accept the abstraction that goes into sword fighting, not only should you embrace it for grappling, you should do the same thing. 1d20 plus a bonus, and in 5th edition, the bonus that you're doing is the athletics proficiency, against some sort of difficulty that doesn't have to do specifically with how much armor you've laid on. 
because I don't care how much, I mean, I, I have a chain mill shirt. It's not going to help me against grappling because it's flexing and bendy and whatever, right? Um, it, I've seen people do gymnastics in plate harness, right? It, it's just, it's only Those about are good 50 friends pounds. To have. Yeah. And, and, and it's, right? No, I mean, it's video, but, you know, it's, 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 I, but I've seen people doing chin ups and, and burpees and all kinds of stuff in full plate harness. Yeah, you need to be strong, but if you could, if you're, if it's designed to fight in, you have to be able to move. Yep. Because yeah. the most important thing is to not get hit always in life, right? <laughs> best, best block, no be there, right? Um, <laughs> right. So the thing is, is, is so what I wound up doing is saying, okay, well, the grapple DC has more to do with your decks and your training, right? So if you have the right feet, so it's it's kind of your you know ten plus the dex bonus, blah blah blah. But if you exceed the grapple DC, then go ahead, roll damage. It's just that the damage type is control, and the more control relative to your foe's strength the more they're mm. impaired. And in 5th edition, with the wonderful inclusion and leaning on conditions rather than penalties, you go from unencumbered to grabbed to grappled to restrained yep. to incapacitated, right? Um, and then the other thing I said is, if you want to, uh, if you've reached certain thresholds or if you want to, you can spend these control points to do cool stuff, mm. right? So yeah. if someone tries to hit you, and you've got you've got them in a clinch, and someone's going to throw an elbow or something. You can say, "Okay, I'm going to spend some of my control points to raise my armor class, so that you can't hit me for this round." So you're moving them out of the way, moving yourself out of the way. You're making them have to work harder than they would. But then those points are gone. Yeah. Okay. And once you spent them, like now you're free or or whatever, whatever, right? So, uh, and of course they can grapple you back and either pile up control on each other. Which is what you see in these some of these more interesting or not so interesting, like BJJ matches or mm-hmm. two uh, MMA where you've got two really good grapplers and they're just tied up, and you're like, you know, and a good grappler's like, oh, he tried this and oh, he did this, and you're like, if you're watching it as a good grappler, you can see all the cool things that they're doing. Yeah, the slight if movements. Yeah, right. It, it, it's it's like you know, my friends, like my mother actually, she'd be like, I can't understand how anyone watches tennis. It's all they're doing is hitting the ball back and forth. Right. Or, or, you know, people who say, I can't understand why anyone would want to watch golf is all they do is hit the ball straight down the fairway every time. I'm like, well, yeah, it takes an awful lot of skill to do that. And that's what you're watching is true. Right. To to see, you know, where do they take the risk? Where are they not? And so, so, but you don't want, you don't want a role playing game to have the same reaction as why are we even doing this? Right. So it needs to have some give and take. But I really like the don't invoke a different mechanic. Use what's there. D&D 5th edition was nicely simplified yeah. uh, and streamlined in the mechanics. So 1d20 plus a skill against a grapple DC, you know, and then roll damage. Oh, you're a monk. Add your martial arts damage. That's what you do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That kind of thing, right? And, and so 5th edition makes a wonderful pegboard to hang that kind of thing off of. And my dungeon grappling book was actually my very first Kickstarter uh, because I had written, I was familiar with it. I had written it. I had played with it. Uh, we had simplified it for OSR uh, in Tim Shorts's manner. Number eight, uh, me and Peter Del Orto uh, co-wrote that. It was like 1500 words. Um, 
and I was looking to publish Dragon Heresy, which is my giant fifth edition. Uh, uh, let's call it what it is: fantasy heartbreaker. Um, and uh, but I was going to do that, and I had written like four hundred thousand words, but I talked wow, to an industry yeah. pro. And, and, well, and, and you have to understand this is right after the SRD came out, so a lot of those words and or words were really stats and stuff that that apply to the SRD, and, yeah. And, uh, apply to the SRP, right? So you're you're allowed to reuse those. But all the fluff text, all of the new content did come from me. Anyway, point is, is that I asked for some advice from Industry Pro, and he came back and said, well, I really don't like to give advice because no one wants to take it. I'm like, lay it on me and I'll take mm. it. And I, he says, okay, you're stupid. Don't do this. Don't do this wow. first out of the gate because you will fail. Yeah. No one is going to drop money on a first-timer with basically three 250-page books because, dude, I mean, there are people who try and publish a zine or something that can't bring it to life yeah. their first time out. The, the, you're just, no one, you're going to need 150, whatever you think you're going to need, you're going to need three or four times more. Uh, and now that I've done this a dozen or, or more times, I, he was absolutely right. I would have needed $150,000 or so to bring Wow, that much con. Well, it's, it winds yeah. up being between one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty dollars a page. Yep. And there were eight hundred pages, you know. So, and then you have to. You, that's just to get to the PDF. That's not making money. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. just the checks you have to write. So, and then you have to print it, which is not the biggest cost. The biggest single budget item is almost always art. Yep, art. Um, oh man, yeah, hundred uh, percent. That's killer. Yeah. It, yeah. It, uh, of that hundred and fifty dollars a page, you're probably spending ninety bucks a page on art. Yeah, not sixty percent. Yep, if um, not more. And if not more, that's right. Hundred percent yep. um, agree. Yeah. So anyway, so long story less long than that one. He's like, don't do that. You set yourself up for success, not failure. And I'm like, you know, if I'm going to ask a pro, I might as well take the pro's advice. So I shelved yeah. the plans to do that and published Dungeon Grappling instead. Uh, got a couple hundred, like 350 backers, maybe six or seven thousand dollars, broke even, uh, on budget. Uh, backers got it early, victory, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it was the it was the step that I needed. And honestly, th that book, that first book called Dungeons and Grappling, is probably my best seller. Um, it came first. Um, but every month it goes by, one or two more copies uh, uh, get sold here and there. It's on drive through. Uh, oh, stuff like yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. So, Very cool. So I, I want to move us along to the Tower of the Moon um, because that's sure. what we're here. But before we do, real quick, I just want to mention the yeah. Scrappler book again because it's super good. There's an ability called Frog March in there, which equivalently lets you use another person as a shield, which I just find so narratively sweet. So if you yeah. didn't think the grappling was cool before, imagine just grabbing a dude and using his body as a shield. Um, Will we see yeah. that in campaign uh, four? You're going to see it in three if I can fudge the DM <laughs> into doing it. You know what I mean? I'm a strength boy. Uh, we'll see. Um, before you jump into town, I want to talk about one thing because this is okay. really true. I, I've never done, and Douglas, you have, you have three of these, at least three of these that I know of that you have uh, on your side there. Yep. Solo D and D solo adventures. Now, many of you they're they're a fantasy trip. Fantasy. So this is uh, what you call a market segment for fantasy yes. trip. Yeah. The the system that is for is Steve Jackson Games, the fantasy trip, which was published originally in 1980, 
um, was out there for a bit through metagaming. Uh, and then when that company folded, uh, the IP rights went into limbo. And Steve Jackson reacquired those rights within the last decade and brought forward into life the Fantasy Trip Legacy Edition, which is a box relatively the size of a shipping container filled with... Di- it's, 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 it's a huge box. I swear to God, it's just huge. The only thing that's bigger is this Steve Jackson, the Ogre uh, uh, box set, if you've ever seen that. Uh, I don't want to waste our time, but I, my, my fantasy trip box is, is out in the hall. But it, it, it's huge. It's got to be uh, a foot tall. It's got to be six or seven inches wide and eight or nine inches deep. The thing is just massive. Mm. Anyway, it's full of content. But TFT is, an, is a rules-light skirmish game with a role-playing system uh, uh, that evolved out of the skirmish game. So it's a game that you can sit down with your friends, kill each other for 30 minutes over lunch, put it away, and you're done. And that's the melee and wizard kind of uh, uh, tournament combat, whatever you want to call it. But oh, it'll yeah. also, it, it also supports a role-playing game. Um, and it's like, you know, character generation is like can be done on these little 3.5 by 5 three and a half by five inch cards you take 32 points and assign them to three attributes you grab a weapon and then fight right and, cool. and so it's yeah. designed to be the kind of thing that you can just play um so that's one it's both a it's new school because the legacy edition came out within the last few years but it's old school because it was one of the first fantasy role-playing games um that that came up in that early 80s period well, and I, I was reading through uh, Dragon Hunt just as one to name it. Yeah, uh, it's, it's already so fun because you, it just takes you paragraph to paragraph. You make decisions along the way. You have a character you go through. You know, as you get certain, uh, what they're calling, uh, what they call them? Not code plot words. words. Plot words. Like, plot if you words. have this plot word as you've gone through, you can make this alternate decision or get gain this. And so, very cool thing. Um, I, if you're listening to this, would direct you. And we're going to put the, the site, of course, in the show notes. Uh, but it's gamingballistic.com and uh, check out some of those as well. If you, if you, if you, I hear people all the time in our Discord say, I don't have anybody to play with. Like, right. I can't get anybody to play D&D with. I want to play right. blah, blah, blah. This, this is for you to be alone and still be excited about playing a fantasy role playing game. Uh, That's so, right. And especially in, in, as we get out of and maybe back into lockdowns and stuff, depending on where you are. Uh, if you can't find a group to play online with, or if that's just not for you, uh, the the three solos, they're all written by David Culver so far. Uh, they're hard to write. They're hard to write. It's it looks not like it. you can just do. Uh, so it, it's uh, Steve Jackson Games actually pays a premium. Because uh, now there are other solos for the fantasy trip uh, that, that, and some of them are still written by David, but there are other solos that Steve Jackson Games publishes. Uh, the three that we're talking about happen to be the ones that, that David wrote for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Vampire Hunter Belladonna, uh, which is a great place to start. Uh, Dragon Hunt, uh, which is kind of a uh, uh, test to destruction. Uh, it's hard. It's hard. I was telling uh, before the show we were talking about it. Uh, when originally, we are like, oh, yeah, take a character through Dragon Hunt. And I sent it out for some play tests. Uh, and people immediately reported back that they just got the floor wiped with them. The dragon yeah, just used it, it is, for a it is, It looks very hard. Uh, and so we said, okay, we'll try two characters. And we're like, oh my god, it's still hard. And so we said, okay, take all three of the three gen characters. And then it started to become more of a, okay, you know, you expect to, to, mm. to maybe have a good chance of winning. Uh, but, uh, James Isert on one of his shows, uh, 
went through dragon hunts with the three characters oh, cool. and got killed two thirds of the way through. Uh, he didn't even reach the big bad, you know. So the, 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 that's a nice thing. We actually deliberately make the solos hard uh, because you want replay value. Right? Yeah, want, no replayability. Right. So so you want to be able to explore and and you know you want to take it. So but yeah. So all of them wind up being challenging. Uh, and they could go, they could go either way. Dragon Hunt is hard enough that it can, if you actually have a group with a referee who knows the rules and three friends, yeah, you you can play it, and it actually makes a great tournament adventure for the same reason, because the game master can run several people through it, uh, or turn down the power level of the characters and have more people go through it. Uh, and, and run it, and you just go from place to place, and you have choices. I mean, oh, convention yeah, adventures cool. tend to be a little railroady anyway. I don't say that as a complaint. It's just you've got a very fixed amount of time with people you've probably met, bef- met before, so you want your challenges mm-hmm. to be planned out. I've ri- I've run uh, freeform, uh, uh, almost hex crawl at a tournament, which is great if you wrote the s- <coughs> if you wrote the setting, you know the history, and can wing it. Yeah, right. Which I did. I, I ran Citadel of Nordborn uh, at, at a convention. Um, then that's great. You can do it and you can make stuff up and it's fine. And many game masters have the chops to handle that. Uh, but, you know, a lot of, like, you know, when I ran uh, uh, Lost Hall of Tear, actually it wasn't Lost, yeah, Lost Hall of Tear at uh, uh, Gen Con 50, it was, you know, it, it started off life as a convention adventure, basically a little railroad. I'd like to think of it as a roller coaster. You know what you're getting into with the <laughs> Right, a roller coaster, you pay your money, you know what you're getting into, and you know the thrills are coming, and yay, you thrill. Uh, a railroad, you just sit back and say, all right, are we there yet? Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Uh, anyway, so to, to your point, uh, yeah, the solos are a lot of fun, very timely, uh, given that a lot of people are finding themselves without gaming groups. Uh, but, you know, it, it's something, because of the paragraph nature, you can start, and if you're like, oh, I have a phone call, or oh, my baby just vomited all over the floor or, oh i need to help my daughter with my math homework you can put it aside um, yeah come back to it come yeah, back that's to great it. yeah I, so I, i'll be playing that as some extra content for sure yeah. uh yeah let's transition Dwayne, on over to tower of the moon why, why did we come here this is why we're here yeah this, <laughs> this is what we're talking about so uh tower of the moon uh not only having a cool ass name uh just from what i see and i want you to give your spiel on it too but you open this this book and the first page is a layout of a tower with multiple floors and it's got this wizard-esque tower feel uh and mana after my own heart like the entrance is like a wolf mouth which uh just all kinds of love for that so give us your like 60 second here's the the premise of the tower because i've got questions and things i'm gonna highlight um but i want to hear your primer for it so the elevator pitch is Tower of the Moon is written for the Fantasy Trip and Swords and Wizardry. They are two separate books. Um, the Swords and Wizardry version uh, was published a while ago by Thomas Denmark and David Pulver, who wrote it. Um, and we re-edited and republished it um, for my Tower of the Moon campaign. Uh, for the Fantasy Trip, David converted it. Um, we redid the map. Um, because it uses hexes instead of squares. So we redrew the map. It's still the same, but, you know, you had there's some slight differences. Yeah. Um, but in any case, Tower of the Moon is a gothic horror uh, adventure. 
uh, that fit best as a side quest as you are traveling between two places. You're going from important place one to important place two. You come to, you're crossing the wilderness. You come to a town and, oh, look, damsel in distress, the, the, the noble's daughter, heir to the manor or whatever, has been kidnapped. We haven't seen her. And the, uh, the uh, house major domo is looking for brave souls mm-hmm. uh, who will go rescue the princess. So it leans a little, it leans on some of uh, the classic tropes. Uh, she's actually not a princess. She's just a noble woman. But, uh, you know, um, it leans on some classic tropes. There's a lot of cool stuff in there. Uh, as you might expect, you got, you know, moon, right? Tower. You know, so you got magic. You got some, you probably have some wolves. Um, maybe werewolves. Hmm. Uh, werewolves, werewolves. Um, and, uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's designed as a horror adventure and lots of, couple of good save or die. Uh, things in there, so you can uh, you expect to lose. You might expect to lose a few people if your uh, if your <laughs> strategy is Hulk smash. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, it's it, it's a really neat self-contained little adventure um, that uh, we got a chance to, to to publish and review. So it's 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 a lot of fun. The people who have read it and uh, uh, given me feedback have really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. So primer in mind the one of the i'm page three right and i I'm, I'm a big fan of references i'm a big fan of uh puns uh even though i'm like terrible at coming up with them but the first thing you run into is Gervault the butler <laughs> and all i hear is Gerald butler Gerard immediately butler. and i'm like oh that's so good i love stuff like that um it's, it's i actually don't know if it's intentional it's, well, uh, it David, works. David, David, yeah, it, yeah, David is not necessarily. Well, you know, he's he's a pretty good at pun. He's got some, like many gamers, he's got some references in his head that like only he's gonna get, mm. and some like <laughs> like you will never see him drop a reference to friends. Dang it, that's just Love not that. his thing, right? Yeah, yeah well, so yeah. he's out for Devin. Yeah, anyway, yeah, Gerald, yeah, Gerald, the Butler. Uh, well, I immediately saw Gerald Butler, and I can't, I can't say anything. One of the main things in uh, Goron is the Red Roof Inn, hundred percent a real place, hundred percent now a real staple in my campaign because my brain silently pulled it in. But I mean, so this this uh, tower here, one of the cool things that I'm seeing about this, and is it it is essentially the who's who of a monster mash. As you go through this, it is brilliant. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to give away everything, but gosh, I'm like, you go from the badass hero Butler to, you know, you've already said it werewolves. I mean, it's uh, really, in here. it's yeah. really good. Like I, I'm careful not to just fucking rattle them off. Cause there's so many good ones, but you go through these different floors and they're really, they're marked up really well too. Cause, and that's one of the biggest things I hate about, um, uh, pre-generated campaigns is if you can't understand it on the map and you're reading through it and you're like, well, that isn't, where does that make sense? Then it's right. just, it's, it's a, a pain for you and your players but this mm-hmm. is labeled out really really well yes it's written really well it you know it makes sense like how you're supposed to run it 
Um, and especially because it's contained, uh, it's not sprawling. It doesn't sprawl. So like my honest to goodness advice is if you've never uh, really gotten into an adventure and you want to use this system, um, this is a great one to run because it's, it's so simple of a concept that you don't have to worry about, Oh, well, what if they go this way? They can, they can, they can. Lock in. Right. you go one direction, like, Oh, well, mostly one direction. And so like, that's that's money for especially for a new group. I mean, this probably will be really challenging for a new group if you put them on pre-generated characters, but they'll see a lot of cool stuff. And I guarantee you, um, this is the way to do it. A lot of people say, uh, uh, Minds of Fandalar for D and D is like one of the best first campaigns. F- fuck those people. Give them, <laughs> give them fucking uh, what is it? Dragons, uh, dragons treasure god i'm blanking so hard on it um oh dragon hunt no we're not dragon about? hunt uh, i was like uh, yeah go dragon hunt D&D, do it again. well absolutely but the D campaign and i'll just pull up the source why am i yeah that is exactly what i'm looking for but why oh yeah some tyranny of dragons no i mean i think you're i think you're right it's rise of tiamat and i'm just why my brain fell apart pulling that together but it, oh, Horde of the Dragon Queen! Gosh, there we go. There go. Horde of the I Dragon you, Queen. Man. I can I can fix this. <laughs> yeah, you fixed out the editing. <laughs> I don't even care. Leave it. This is lawful stupid. We stand to our name. You're right. But You're so more, people know so us. They people know. always talk about uh, Minds of Fandalar and say it's really cool. Horde of the Dragon Queen, and and here's why I say this, and and I'll I'll bring it back around, cause it's fucking cool, right? It's a it's a battle, and there's dragons, right? That'll hook most people in. So you talk about Tower of the Moon, man. You got werewolves. You've got fucking skeletons. You got slimes. You've got a cacophony of monsters in here that are gonna fuck people up, or you're gonna murder. Either way, it's exciting, and that's what yeah. you want as your first adventure. That's what hooks people in. Because I'll tell you right now, nobody's coming back going, "Oh yeah, I played, I played D and D, and we shopped for an hour." And right, while that's right. important, <laughs> that is not going to get people in a game. They are not coming back. Like, I don't give so a shit. I'm not converting gold pieces. So you're saying last episode when I did that, you guys didn't like it? Oh, uh, well, I've, I'm I've here for four years. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Yeah, you know. You're, it is yeah, what it is. Sunk cost, you explore the sunk cost fallacy. Uh, 100%. Sunk cost. <laughs> We're getting some real economics. Well, and then uh, what I had never heard of as I was kind of reading through your material is backer kit. So, like, as opposed to Kickstarter, where you're trying to get this thing off the ground, Man, it's right. already it's already in flight. You've already it's already made, and now so you're it, saying here's the product. It was an ex- yeah, it was an exper- It's an experiment. Um, thus far, I would say the experiment. Um, so here's the deal. Kickstarter, the way that it is supposed to be used, I don't think it is used that way, but it is the way that it's supposed to be used. Is I have a dream. If you build it, they will come. All mm-hmm. that great stuff. Um, you are looking to do something. Uh, and are collecting money to enable you to do it. Uh, however, uh, as you go to Kickstarter, as I go to Kickstarter, uh, you are looking for signs that this product is more than vaporware and will be delivered. Uh, so what are you looking for? You're looking for a track record. Okay, great. What you're looking for is what are you going to get? Is right. it worth it? And 
the way that you usually look at that is you would like to see screenshots. Uh, this is a mock-up of what you're going to get. This is page 9 and 10, or maybe it's 8 and 9, depending on how your spreads work. Um, this is page 9 and 10, and here's some you know preliminary art, or here's some introduction, or whatever. So you're looking for something that says the showrunner knows how to run the show. Hmm. Uh, they have something that you're interested in, uh, and it's not going to show up like a bunch of number two pencil stretches on college room paper with some stick figures. Now, my art direction is stick figures, but if you've seen the TFT Tower <laughs> of the Moon, you can see that, you know, Billy did a great job. And, and Thomas, Billy Blue did the art on the TFT version of Tower of the Moon. Uh, Thomas Denmark did the maps on both OSR uh, and the TFT version. I think Thomas also did the interior art uh, He's uh, of the OSR version. He's an artist as well. Um, and uh, David wrote both. Uh, in any case, the point is is that Kickstarter is you run it for a couple of weeks. You know, you want to have a couple of mm -hmm. you know. Although Phil Reed has played with one day Kickstarters before, but he has a following of several thousand. People. Wow. So you know, but the thing is, Kickstarter's fulfillment capabilities are meh. Yeah. Right, because if you don't know what your shipping is going to be, you don't know whether you're going to have 50% international or 5% oh, international. Yeah. You don't know what stretch goals are going to be. Oh, look, if we get to stretch goal number six, I'll throw dice in. Great. You can no longer use media mail, and your prices for that pound and a half of stuff have just gone up by a factor uh, of two. Right? So, so Backer Kit allows you to do a lot of that retroactively. And, however, um, Backer Kit also has some really neat stuff uh, in in it. Um, one of those things is every add-on can be treated as a stretch goal. So I talked to Thomas. We're like, hey, would you like to re-edit and reissue a physical version of Tower of the Moon for OSR? Because they, they didn't have one. They just had PDF. Uh, I'll take care of the printing. I'll, I'll run it through my usual thing. I've got that down. I'll distribute it, whatever. Uh, but would you like to do this? Yes, I would. I do the math. Well, we really need to have 20 or 30 orders before it's really worth doing, before yeah. the cost yeah. per book. Uh, and I use a, a Mixum, which is a short-run printer, so they start off pretty good. Um, but in order to return enough money to Thomas and David to make it better than, you know, hey, here's a buck, um, we said, hey, you know, if as long as we get past, like, 6 or 10, we at least break even. If we get to 20, you know, there's maybe a hundred bucks in it for you or something like that. You know, it's not much, but considering that their PDF is $5 or whatever, uh, you know, it's the, and especially if it's on drive through $5 turns into $3 pretty quick, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, a hundred bucks is like, Hey, I sold 30. Is that exciting to you? Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting to me. Great. Um, so we said, all right. So you can basically say, if you get this many orders, this add-on unlocks. So it's like a stretch goal, yes. but every individual product can be judged on its own merits right there in the thing. So what I'm going to do, and this gets to the international shipping thing, shipping internationally is just a pain in the butt right now. Yeah. I don't want to digress, but this, let's just stipulate that it's 10 times worse than it's ever been, both in cost and hassle. 
Um, and that's complicated by mm. Brexit and all kinds of other things. Uh, that's even beyond COVID, right? Brexit would have complicated things even beyond that. However, I can print Tower of the Moon in the United Kingdom with Mixum, ship it almost what seems like down the street uh, to Crichton, um, where Kix2 is, and deliver within the UK using Royal Mail. That's like doing it all in the US for US people. So what huh. I can do is I can put my entire freaking product portfolio on backer kit. I can't do this on Kickstarter, but I can do it on backer kit and people can just buy stuff. And as each one unlocks, I can say, okay, you know, when it comes to the end of this campaign, anything that's crossed the threshold will be charged and delivered. Anything that is not, we take that product off the list. You are not charged for that product, but I don't have to take a loss. Yeah, that's awesome. So and so I want to try that. And I can do that in the UK. I can do it in Australia, New Zealand. And in another month or so, um, there I think there's a printer who's going to do a short run digital press uh, in the Netherlands, which will take care of the European Union. Oh, nice. What I can't do, yeah. yeah. What I can't do is this bad boy, 288 page hardback. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> this still requires an honest to god print run, and that's still hard. A uh, 128 page soft cover, like my Citadel at Nordborn Hall of Judgment, uh, uh, Lost Hall of Tears Second Edition is is 112 pages uh, for D and D. That's that's my uh, whatever. So those 96 to 128 page soft covers are going to require a lot of people to want them to be profitable. It's, yeah. It's the, the 16, basically if you're in the realm of saddle stitch, so up to about 48 pages, um, that kind of short run printing rocks on toast. Hmm. I did not know that. It's very interesting. Noted. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> we, we're always trying to see if we can get something published from Awful Stupid. We've yet to do it, but we have, uh, Dwayne writes quite a bit, Shane writes quite a bit. I would yeah. love to, but I'm not going to ever do it. So, um that's really awesome well cool man we uh thank you so much for coming on uh i learned a whole lot today from being able to be a viking martial artist to what it takes to get something printed and how you can save money by using backer kit instead so kickstarter has great community building tools and great uh, customer communication tools backer kit even though they have their launch thing that's more of a marketing tool like a it's like a mass mail uh so it, it's i'm probably running half the customers that i usually do on kickstarter so it's not. It's young. Better roses. Yeah. So it's kind of just. It's not a better. Yeah. Roses. What you're trying to get out of it, and it makes sense for right. someone who's already got a product out to do that. Right. So. Well, Tower of the Moon seems like a really like cool thing to do. I mean, honestly, we do themed. You know, we did. Uh, we played Final Girl as one of. It's like a you know TTRPG we play for Halloween, but like doing a Tower of the Moon seems like a cool themed like Halloween idea. So other podcasts who listen yep. to us. I'd steal that idea. Go get Tower of the Moon and run that Take as your it. one-off holiday. It's yours. It's yours. You have to go buy it. But then after that, there you yeah. go. it's yours. Uh, <laughs> so uh, lastly, real quick, Douglas, if you can tell people besides, of course, the website, which again, in show notes, uh, and also for this is GamingBallistic.com, uh, specifically Tower of the Moon. Uh, we'll put that one in there. Where else can they find? Social medias, that kind of thing. Where are you at? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Facebook as Gaming Ballistic. Uh, I'm also on Facebook as me, but really, if you're interested in my gaming stuff rather than pictures of my children and cats, uh, you want to go to the Gaming Ballistic page. Uh, I am on Twitter, GM Ballistic, uh, because for whatever reason, I couldn't fit gaming in there. 
Um, and technically, I'm on Instagram, but I'm really bad at it. Are you still doing uh, TikTok dances and stuff? Are you still doing those? I, you know, no one on this planet, including <laughs> my children, wants to watch me dance. I feel like because they don't, that should be the reason why that's, you do it. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. So let I mean, me see I'll, your I'll TikTok. Be, I'll, I'll, I'll use it. Yeah, I'll, I'll be the, uh, the, the, the dad equivalent of lightsaber. Kid. You just have 100 videos, but it's all the same dance. Just a different shirt. Right. I, love I love it. it. Yeah. <laughs> cool, Douglas. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Dwayne, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add on there before we close out. No, I mean, thanks for writing uh, the content, honestly, because there's people out there that just uh, don't like homebrewing, they don't, but they want to have an imaginary setting and having people out there create that content and go through the fucking hassle to publish it. Um, I appreciate that very much. So thank you. You're no, a hero I, I, in the thank, community. Thank you, for say, thank, you, thank you for saying so. Um, you know, at Gaming Ballistic, uh, the one thing that the authors who work with me uh, sometimes bristle at with my no homework rule. Um, like if you're paying gaming ballistic for stuff, you're not allowed to give the game master homework. That's why uh, they're paying us. Uh, yep. So you know, if you ha- if you throw a monster in, put stats. If you mm-hmm. if you don't say, oh, make up a rumor, give a rumor a, a, a rumor table, right? Don't 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 assign the game master homework. Especially don't assign the game master homework in the middle of the adventure. Yeah. I love That's, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Devin loves that especially. <laughs> I I love that. Hey everybody, so go check out gamingballistic.com today. Again, the we're, we're talking about Tower of the Moon mostly, but so many cool things to check out, so many uh, PDFs you can get. Again, we're we're pitching this Tower of the Moon. And so uh, real quick, that has um is it a soft cover for that or what is that one? Yep, yep, Tower of the Moon is 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 a soft cover. Okay. Soft cover saddle stitch, so it's stable. Saddle stitch just sounds cool. I know that's probably just a term. Yeah. Saddle stitch describe. sounds way cooler. I will it, never call anything yeah. stable again. Oh, I'm, just, I'm, saddle mm, stitch these two for me. <laughs> yes. Thank you. That 100%. That's awesome. Yeah, again, thanks, Douglas. I uh, appreciate you. And I uh, hope to be talking to you more in the future, man. Just if you know, if you need, lean on Lawful Stupid for whatever you need. We'll, we'll, Absolutely. We'll Dave, talking about gaming is a good day. All Agreed. Right, well, everybody, thanks for listening to today's episode. I uh, hope you learned a little bit something about that. Go support Douglas. Go support gamingballistic.com and until next time we love you Bye. bye